altitude's undefeated. Crap, we able to punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge time, I think. I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Yippee-ki-yay, Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Christmas Eve 2023. I'm coming to you from the 38th floor of the Wells Fargo Center, also known as the Cash Register Building. We've got a special interview for you today. This past Wednesday, December 20th, I sat down with new Rapids manager Chris Armis for about an hour. We talked about many things. This interview was fun, engaging, insightful and encouraging. We hope that you enjoy it, whether you're stuck in holiday traffic, in an airport, wrapping presents, or you need a little respite from family drama and Christmas dinner prep time. We've got you covered, Rapid supporters. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Without further ado, Chris Armis, welcome to the party, pal. Chris, good to see you again. How are you, man? Good. You all right? Yeah. How are you? Good, good, How you like it? Colorado? I really like it. Really like it. Really, really love the, the club. It's sunny every day since I've been here. So Denver's been nice. Yeah. Does it feel, are you looking at it with a different perspective given that you're now moving here and with the club as opposed to, oh, Denver's a city that I come to once, twice a year as a coach, as a player to come and try and get a result? Yeah, no, like, um, it's a completely different approach. I'm trying to. This I mean, I've had to envision this as my home. It's going to be my home, mm-hmm. my family. Uh, yeah, so it's a complete, um, deliberate approach to just invest myself in everything around. Mm-hmm. You picked a neighborhood yet? I'll be in Cherry Creek. Yeah. Cherry Creek. Yeah. Okay. I know a couple of the players have been there. I know a lot of the guys with the families like the not. What are we calling it now, Emilio? Now that we canceled, what's his name? Oh, it's not, yeah. It's not. There's a neighborhood that's named after a Denver mayor who yeah. posthumously, post-George Floyd, we found out, was problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the exact details behind it. I think we renamed it Northfield? Yes. You're yeah, right. okay, so they're in the, the Northfield area. So there was a, if you went, um, like, if training was 9 to 10.30, if you went over at that Starbucks at, like, 11.15, you'd see a bunch of Rapids players. Okay. So. I was always so, Chris. I was I was happy with how both of us handled my first question, um, and you seemed really tactful with that and everything. There was a point where your exact quote was, "That's all you got, brother." So, I think we're two emotionally intelligent human beings who can be really cordial. So, let's poke the bear. Uh, 2018 conference final, first leg in Atlanta. Any regrets about the approach, the result? Uh, you know. When you know the outcome of the, of the way the game went, how, how can you not say you try some different things? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I if I could do that one over, it's important to know what happened in the, in the previous game. So, so let me give you the yeah. color two. We beat Columbus 3-0. 
mm-hmm. at home. Spurholder's last game in charge, uh, I think, at MLS. Mm-hmm. We were down, I think, 1-0 in the, in the series. We host the second leg, and we we had a plan to sit off a little bit to invite invite them. And this was at home. And it surprised them. Um, we thought if we went after them too much, it was going to be a long ball affair, and we, we wanted to control things a little bit differently. And it worked, 3 0. Mm-hmm. We took that same approach into Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think, 1 0 at halftime. It's, it's tight. We score a goal in the match. Um, it gets called back. One of those where Guzan's. Did someone pre VAR? Or did we have. I think, uh, I think it was VAR. I think it was VAR, honestly, yeah. Okay. But. Guzan's never getting the goal. Right, Phillips shot that went in the corner, but because someone's in an offside position, this mm-hmm. thing shielded him. It could have changed the entire complexity of things. So you had this mm-hmm. more controlled approach going to Atlanta. Um, we watched their previous game. They got pressed. They played the long ball game. We didn't. If I could do that one over, I would have just went after them mm-hmm. and just stayed really aggressive. I would have shifted from what got us. To that game, I think. Mm-hmm. But conference championship, first leg, knowing that if we could make some noise there and get, get, get that second leg, we were a pressing team. We're the best pressing team in the league. Uh, high press, mid block. Um, if I could do it over, I just would have said, fuck it, go after them. Okay. Um, I'm curious, you know, Red Bulls, I hear some things about how much stuff comes down from the mothership. I'm wondering how much is this opportunity here, maybe the first where, or where you're the most aligned with how you feel about the game with the front office? I guess I'm wondering, you know, you came here and you said that you don't want to be full energy drink soccer. Have your views on that evolved or is that a reflection that maybe you were executing a vision that you were still ruminating on maybe if we could do a few other things differently I would but your employer felt no, committed my, my, empo- my employer like my at Red Bull it was a philosophy throughout the club mm-hmm. that it was a certain way of playing it was a certain way of behaving on the pitch that in possession out of possession it was very very clear but I was never told to play a certain way uh, but we had we had uh, ideals that we followed now, mm-hmm. Red Bull football is is so many different styles within them so each coach, again, no one ever was told this, but mm-hmm. had their stamp on it. Again, so an example is Ralph Rangnick, Jesse Marsh. It was mm-hmm. the real high octane, uh, almost what you see with Bradley Carnell, very uh, intense, direct, and, and with Julian Nagelsmann, was largely built on the attacking phase and attacking principles and so much emphasis in the possession phase. Mm-hmm. Never losing the DNA of against the ball, relentless, forced mistakes, counter-pressing, gegen-pressing, mm-hmm. right? So um, I don't think the general, the people who throw around the term Red Bull football, I don't think they truly understand what makes it Red Bull. Mm-hmm. So now when I'm coaching over there, um, I was coaching with Jesse and, and all along, learning and, and asking questions of one day when I coach a team I'll, I'll 
have certain things I do the same, so some little differences. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go to Germany every off season and ask the questions about Nagelsmann, Marco Rosa, mm-hmm. different coaches, Ralph Rangnick, and watch and see some different ways within the same general philosophy. Mm-hmm. But the Red Bull philosophy, just to put that one to bed, um, I think the similarities for the, all the coaches is what the behaviors are against the ball. Mm-hmm. Controlling spaces, compact, sprinting, pressing, high octane against the ball, create transition, score goals. The philosophy is the playmaker, right? So I think in all of those philosophies, and mine, that's the same. So when I was over there, it was um, when I took over the team, I was continuing what was going on, but I added my own Mm -hmm. ideas to what we were doing with Jesse, different uh, ideas with the ball, certain structure, trying to work on and build build from what we did. Um, in my this is in this current situation, it's it's uh, I've evolved even from that. Worked at Manchester United where we really had to bring attacking principles into into play. And I've had more time to watch and, and ask questions on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so defending in a low block, what, what are the best teams do? It's things we hadn't talked specifically about in years past. So with this, what's different about this situation is that from the very start now, I'm in on every discussion about the roster and having a real influence on player acquisition, mm-hmm. players to get rid of. You know, there's certain conversations that as I've got going here, I'm involved in every bit of it. Mm-hmm. the recruitment process. And that made it the best fit as opposed to other opportunities, maybe? The, the uh, This opportunity was right because I, I think it was what they... They were looking for a coach to get back to their way, to play in transition, to play with intensity. Um, when I heard that, as I said in the interview, that, that, that really interested me. And... I felt like I was going to have a chance if I could get the job to one, bring a style of play that I'm comfortable with. Cause I know they were, they were looking for that. And with a roster that I'd have an influence on building mm-hmm. and where in their cycle of things, there'd be room to do that. Yeah. That there would be room to do that. And probably most importantly there, besides having people that believed in me was, um, working with a hungry group of players. Hungry just would mean that they're open. They're open, they're moldable, which is is critical for success in any pro sport, to have guys that are open to what you want to bring. Um, so yeah, that's that made this job really appealing when I listened to Porig speak in the, in the press conference, mm-hmm. the type of person and coach he was looking for. How do you feel about the draft went yesterday? Happy? Yeah, really happy. Really happy to know what our targets were. Uh, there was a lot of work that went into um, trying to identify and understand the country in terms of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time at the, the combine. We spent a lot of time together with the scouts and building a strategy. And based on trying to identify the top talent, the top young talent, the highest potential along with positional needs as well and trying to piece that together in a style of play as well, get guys that, that can play the way we want. And then also you spent a lot of time interviewing 
Mm-hmm. A lot of players getting to know them as players, as people. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that went into it. We had targets and we got so many of them, which I think if we look around there, we have some really bright young young talent that we, we scooped up. What stands out to you with uh, Kamani Baines, Stuart Baines? Just an elusive winger, can unbalance, intelligent, young, um, good mentality when we interviewed him, real competitor, but we see a... Yeah, just a talented winger that can, in the final third, understands how to help help create goals. Mm-hmm. So. Speaking of wingers, uh, what do you think Omir Fernandez can achieve at this club? What do you think you can help coach him to become? Yeah, uh, he, he's a, he's to give him credit, he's really pushed forward even since I left him in 2020. So it's mm-hmm. years later, he's earned more minutes, which means he's getting more goals and. What I think he can accomplish here is, is a guy that understands the final third and some of the pressing and behaviors against the ball. So mm-hmm. he came up through that system. Um, I think he loves loves playing that way. Really good counter pressing and energy against the ball, and intelligent tactically to be a good pressing pressing player. But his gift is his football. He has mm-hmm. it in his. In his in his feet and his blood, where he's got a really good, um, it's hard to teach what he has. Good yeah. balance, real intelligence, arriving into into the box to score goals. He can score goals with um, different ways. He draws fouls. So I think that, along with a, a really strong mentality and love for the game, it's he can't help it. Like He loves training. He loves playing. He Loves when the lights come on. He seems to be a guy that scores in derby matches. Mm-hmm. So we need uh, some of that, given the Rocky Mountain Cup. <laughs> so what I think he can achieve is, is a guy that to really continue his journey, but to, to bring, I would say, you know, personality in the attacking third and quality to score, to score goals and, and, and get assists in that final third. Mm-hmm. Do you like him on the right wing, or could he play a few different places? Yeah, he can play any of the front three spots and. Left wing can be a ten and a right right midfielder. So mm-hmm. he likes playing in those wider areas, but arriving on angles and getting into the box. But um, he's certainly a guy that that's comfortable playing in the pockets. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is what we were asking of our those attacking midfielders. Did you have a relationship with him when he was in the academy? Still, I I didn't have a relationship with him at that point. It was when he was coming through from college. Mm-hmm. That's when I met him and. and uh, we understood clearly that he, he was ready to, to start the journey mm-hmm. as a pro. Was that just a player's thing, or was that a was that a Bronx immigrant mentality? Maybe. Um, he's a really intelligent kid. You know, he's, his family is, is amazing. Is uh, but when you got the fire burning bright, and you have yeah. a chance to, and he loves the club. He loves. He loves the even now when he. He can't wait to play against the Ripples. He's already like he. He's such a competitor, but he loves to play. Um, but it was, I think, it was just in his blood to become a pro. Mm-hmm. And as much as you know, he's educated, and, and with the education piece that uh, any chance that he can do this for a living was he was chomping at the bit. So it was just a matter of time. So I think with with him, big decision for him, and the family was supportive to help him follow the dream. Mm-hmm. 
the club's re-signed uh, Sebastian Anderson and Ollie LaRoz, and I think there's a few other R2 guys in there that I think should would want to believe that they're going to get an opportunity with the first team. What do you see in terms of auditing the Rapids' two kids and you know can get opportunities with the first team in ways they haven't previously? Well, um, yeah, thrilled that those guys, we've locked them in a bit. Um, we see Ali obviously is, is a real talent in the middle, middle of the field. He's producing goals and assists. It was nice to see that. Only heard good things and have seen a bit as well. And, mm-hmm. and certain footage to see that he's he's coming along. He's putting himself in a good spot. So it's, it's good to lock him in and, and get him in the system. He's got a good mentality. I uh, got to see Sebastian at the towards the end of the year getting minutes and he caught my attention right away. A prideful right back. Seemed to be really comfortable on the ball. But what I noticed is there's a real alertness and prideful defending. Mm-hmm. Never to want to let his teammates down. Not met, met him yet, but um, that was good to see. Mm-hmm. I was asking questions about him even towards the end of the year. About mm-hmm. it seems inter- interesting. But the, with the idea with the second team players is um, to, to give them a chance with our first team in training. And with Eric, the second team coach, uh, identifying those players, watching those games, you know, that's what I will do because that's what I have done. You know, to know exactly what's going on down there. Um, I've been involved always watching those teams train at times, portions of training, but more so watching all the games. And then getting those guys, the, the, the guys that deserve those, that we see that, that, that the high potential guys that are doing well, we've, we're going to create room on our roster where we get them into training. Mm-hmm. So ideally, like the Aaron Longs, the, uh, the guys we had, and we've done this before, it's yeah. been a proven method to training with us, games down there, perfect combination. We get to see them. They get put in the environment that really pushes them physically, technically, tactically. They hear the messaging, makes them grow, pushes them out of their comfort zones. Go go show us. We'll, we'll check for the understanding when we watch you play in those games. Mm-hmm. Train with us. Ramp things up, speed of play, pressure situations with the first team. Go show us. Go show us that you understand what we're talking about over there. That's the rhythm. That's what we plan to do in 2024 with a bunch of those guys. Okay. How much uh, have you taken a proper audit of the academy, either with Brian Crookham, Chris Cartilage, or just on your own? Uh, not. I was in Arizona. Went mm-hmm. to go watch the U17s play. Mm-hmm. Got to know every single player on that day. Um, really pleased with a bunch of those players. Mm-hmm. I think the future is bright there. The key is to uh, keep moving them along, keep pushing them, get them out of their comfort zones to the next level um, to really get to know all of them. I've ran to some of the, you know, the boys here on campus and spent some time, uh, as I said, tech ball and messing around with a little bit of conversation. We started the process with building a culture and togetherness with them. But for sure, it was it was nice to spend some time um, watching the U seventeen group mm-hmm. um, against Montreal down in, in uh, Phoenix. So that's that's going to be the way I do it to really get to know those kids uh, you know, on the field, off the field, and ultimately, you know, bringing some of those young ones along into some first team training would be great as well. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think of Adam Beaudry? Yeah, 
met him a few times now. He's been, uh, you know, on the mend from a, a small injury, um, but seems to be working really hard to, to get back. And we see him as a high, high-profile talent. He's mm-hmm. uh, obviously watching the national team and, and the World Cup, and um, yeah, Sharpie, our, our, our goalkeeper coach, is really high on him. We're all high on him. Seems like a good boy, a good character. Yeah, we're gonna. We'll have. We'll be strategic of, of where he is in this process. We know he's. Is he, how far away is he? That's a question I'll, I'll. I'll realize pretty soon. But in preseason, we'll get to see him up close, and we see. We have, We think we have a really good goalkeeper there. Obviously. So. Mm-hmm. After coaching a little bit with Chicago, but before Red Bulls, um, right, is it Adelphi or Adelphi? Adelphi. Adelphi University. Coaching the women's team. What's your alma mater mean to you? Yeah, I. I uh, I never forget where I came from, you know, and, and uh, at each each stop, you know, you, you learn, you take from the experiences. At Adelphi, uh, Bob Montgomery was my college coach. He saw something special in me when I was a 13-year-old. I was a coach in the many Shellshite, Bob Bradley, were coaches on the state teams and regional teams. Uh, not not many saw something in me. They all did, and um, came back around four years later with Bob. Montgomery asked me to be part of the Adelphi Panthers soccer team, so um, that that gave me an education, gave me some of my, my friends for life, and my wife at, at school. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm forever in, in, grateful, but indebted to the program. I, I support the program in every way. Both my kids um, have gone there. One is still uh, there. He's actually transferring to Hofstra University, mm-hmm. but my other boy just graduated from there. I learned some really valuable lessons on, on campus, in the classroom, and on the pitches. So it, it means a lot. And to get a chance to coach there, I was volunteering with the men's team and the women's team. I was when I was made a decision to come back from Chicago mm-hmm. um, and put put the professional ranks on, on hold for the time being to be around my kids, to be hands on. And, and there was a lot of coming and going. I had no off-season for eight years when I was mm-hmm. with the Chicago Fire as a player. Every off-season was with the national team, and it was like, it was no downtime. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in 2007, at the end of that year when I retired, you know, probably it's three years old and six years old, my, my, my two boys. So, formative years, you know, it was my wife had sacrificed a lot of being out of New York for a long time. It was mm-hmm. time to get back home, which that was the decision. I'm doing some different things, and one was volunteering at, at the campus, giving mm-hmm. my time back. The women's job opened. They they asked me to interview if I had an interest. Mm-hmm. I wasn't so sure because I, I uh, do I want to coach college? Do I want to? I got to learn about the women's game a bit. You know, it's it's uh, it was some of the three of the best years of my life coaching those kids at, at Delphi. Three or four years. I'm not sure exactly how long, but we turned the program around with with much of the approach that I'll do here from. Look at the culture. Think about the recruitment, um, messaging every day. What it takes to be a real team. Um, I think they were like nineteen and two the year I left. When All right. Maybe they they uh, maybe that next coach is better than me. But I know <laughs> we, we, we did some really good work there. But it was really about building a culture of, of how to work. And um, it's always the love. It's why I, I do it. it Taking a group of, of players and people and and 
how good can you become as a team and then how clear can you be with the tactics and the style of play. Mm -hmm. Is that where the interest with coaching young players started from or were you, those last couple of years in Chicago, were you interested in mentoring the kids? Um, for me, it's a, it wasn't, it was never like a, such an interest about coaching younger players versus older players about coaching. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it's about coaching and what I like about coaching younger players, um, let's say that, that college aged player, which ends up being a Tyler Adams, uh, you a know, Cole Bassett, Cole Bassett ish, right? For sure. Um, but that college age player, they still have that look in their eye that, that, that it's hunger. It's mm -hmm. they're open to it. They listen, they come every day to get better. They love being part of the team. They haven't, you know, they're not at a point where you say, you know, get over yourself type of thing. They, mm -hmm. There's not, there's not money to think about. There's, it's just about the team and the performance and trying to get better every day. Giving, not taking, that's what you get with that age group. So at the college level, it's all over the place. It's, you don't, I, don't, I didn't see a lot of you know, edgy, bad, like bad mentality. You don't see, I, mm -hmm. I don't see that there. Um, and if you see a little bit of it, you manage it a little bit and they, they get right back in line. It's no, that's not a big issue. Um, when you get to the professional ranks, you have lot different, different age groups, older players, different uh, the financial piece of what guys are earning different pressures and then when you in that group you can see that the young ones coming through they're always so fun to coach because of the the wide-eyed you know what I mean coming through so open for what you can and mm -hmm. grateful for, for what you can give they, they love being part of it so but I, I have to tell you um, as much as it was you know Tyler Adams and and Sean Davis, these young guys, Alex Mule wants to stay after training, Omir Fernandez. I could say it was equally enjoyable with Sasha Kleschen, Wright Phillips, mm -hmm. Mike Rilla, Lloyd Sam, Dax McCarty, Felipe. Like, gosh, like uh, you can say some of the players you meet, um, Justin Morrow, Michael Bradley, some of these guys in Toronto. And then you, if you, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, the guy came every day to get better. Mm hmm. If you're getting offside, call wrong. He's he's fired up. He wants to win. He wants to score goals. And you see Diogo Dello, a young player that has strong mentality. Fred McTominay, like mentality monsters. So mm -hmm. those guys are equally responsible for the young ones that wake me up early every day with optimism. Mm -hmm. And on long weeks and long days on losing streak that, that make me stay up late at night to try to get it right. Mm -hmm. Juan Mata, to see a guy, a legendary guy at the club that comes every day to, to push his teammates to get better. It doesn't get all the minutes on game day. I would make sure match day plus one that I had a really good plan for training to say, okay, this is Juan's day to really push. And, you know, so I, I get, I get a joy. My, the why for me is the people and the players, mm -hmm. but I, I, I've, I've, I've had less and less tolerance for guys that don't, that, 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 that the, the takers versus the givers and players that, that the, the arrogance and, and complacency and they think you owe them something. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I, it's a zero tolerance uh, these days for that. The 2024 Colorado Rapids will be a team of givers then? 100%. Okay. We are going to be a real team and that means 
you give to the team and you run for the team and you, you, you're grateful to be part of things. You, know, you feel understanding that's, it's that that chair you're sitting in is a hard chair to get into. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. That, that's yeah. what that roster will, will reflect. Mm-hmm. You've had some time to interact with some fans in the time that you've been here. Um, I'm sure you're aware there was the supporters boycott back in September. What do you make of kind of what they've experienced and um, what's needed to, I think, reunite them or, or reignite the hope? Well, we have good fans, and mm-hmm. good fans. What, 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 if anyone would, if you could design make up what a good fan is one of the first things is passion they love their team Mm -hmm. and it's their team and if it truly if that's not BS and that's their team right um, then I think that means they get behind their team because they want to see the team win and perform and play a certain way and make them happy to go watch them play but if if good fans are, are passionate how should they feel if the team's not performing and not performing at home? And, and especially when they've, they've experienced success. They've seen home field dominance. They've been part of that. You know, um, they, they, t- they, they have to spend their money on to go watch the team play. So given the recent form and maybe dip, but how should they feel? Um, it's not to place blame on anyone. It's not anything other than how should they feel. It's important that the new head coach and the upper management and the, all the players, we understand what it's all about. And it's about, it is about them. It really is about, we're in the entertainment business here. We are. Mm-hmm. It's pro sports, but what is that? Like, right? It's, uh, it's important to understand it. We're, we have to please them. We have to make them happy. We have to un- make them excited to come watch us play. And if we do that, they, they'll get behind us. They're fans. That's why they do this. They're not here to just come here because it's like going to the dentist. They're coming here to watch their team. Think about the car rides on the way home when they leave here. You want them to feel good. And when you send them home, it just... I've been a fan, so I, I know that. So, understanding first why they feel the way they do, it's important. And that that's fair. It's fair that they, they can reserve judgment on the team, on myself, and we have to earn that. We have to earn that back. But I have met a lot of the fans. Mm-hmm. I met more of the fans last night. Um, we had a great, great connection. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we have to, uh, time will tell, because what really matters is what they see on the pitch. But um, I, I think it's clearer even what they want to see mm-hmm. and what, what is important to them. And it's pretty clear. We have to have a team that works hard, that goes after it, that plays proactive at home, that acknowledges them after matches, win, lose, or draw, that they can feel real energy on the pitch and that transfers to them. So that's what we'll be working to deliver. So I think you get the right players on the, on the pitch and that the, because of the right human beings, a style of play that suits, suits them, and that, that has a chance to excite our fans. That's the goal. You mentioned being a fan yourself, Jets or Giants. Man, um, I hate saying that it's both these days because it's like it's, a, it's an easy answer. I, it, I've always been the Giants fan. Okay. 
But when I moved out of New York and it was 13 years, I started rooting for all the New York teams. Okay. And now I'm told I look like Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets. <laughs> so, and I kind of like the way he coaches and his leadership. I'm a, I'm a fan of his. And okay. I like the way his team plays. They've had some injuries. and But I'm, I, I'm a, I, I root for both teams. Okay. And then what about the Rangers or Islanders? Both of them don't care? Honestly, it's, 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 that's what's happened to me. I, I root for the, team, the teams now. And I have a lot of my friends are also rooting for those other teams. Mm-hmm. But I was born in the Bronx. My dad is a die, was a diehard Yankees fan. Okay. So I'm Yankees. Um, I, don't, I do not root against the Mets, though. Mm-hmm. I'm Rangers. I don't root against the Islands. If the Rangers and Islanders play, I'm rooting for the Rangers. Okay. I'm a Rangers fan. So. Okay. I'm going to assume just Knicks, or are we counting the Nets? Yeah, the been adopted? I've always been a, a Knicks fan. Okay. Never really. Nets were always in New Jersey. Okay. And, um, you know, when I was really into watching the Knicks, it was the 90s, mid 90s with Patrick Ewing, John Starks, um, Charles Oakley, mm-hmm. uh, these types of guys. So, Knicks. Okay. Your family growing up with the Yankees, did it mean something special to go coach in the Derby at Yankee Stadium? Yeah, sure, sure did. Matt, you know, I always thought on those days that my dad would be in that stadium and, and in the Bronx where he was born and grew up um, watching his kid coach on the sideline at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, knowing where my dad came from, the hard work, the, everything was for the family and his kids to to see his kid on that day at Yankee Stadium. Um, mm-hmm. It was always special, I know, for my family, um, really special for my dad, therefore special for me. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was always, you know, that's like on, on the fringe, but it was, you gotta, you gotta win. There's yeah. three points out there. We, this is, again, our, I know exactly where our fans are up in the section there, and um, we've gotten some results there. So, yeah, always a, a fun one, for sure. Mm-hmm. How much of your upbringing was typical New York, Puerto Rican? How much of that was formative to who you are now? Uh, really, really informative. You know, my, my dad's Cuban and Italian, and my, my mom is, is Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that meant was you know, the culture of, of, of those uh, countries, let's say, and, and, the, and the culture mm-hmm. is family-based. Um, and it always stemmed from hard work. So that meant that, you know, we experienced that on an everyday basis what it meant at home got to see my dad work hard they expected us to work hard it was my mom was tough on us you know and, and we, we had to deliver good grades but it was always about accountability and hard work that mm-hmm. was a lot of the other families in our community that was all of our cousins and that was the messaging and the culture that we brought up in mm-hmm. um, so yeah my my uh, the holidays meant family gatherings, uh, never about how, m- how much money gifts could cost and you spend and not being grateful for things. It was, we were always grateful for whatever we, we got during the holidays, but it was always about big get-togethers, the Spanish food that we'd be eating, the yeah. Spanish music that was on, uh, my grandmother and grandfather, parents speaking Spanish, and we're speaking English, trying to let you know what they're talking about, but we... We got we, we we got enough of it, and we're really pr- we're proud, and for sure we're. If I didn't have, if I didn't have those strong values that that saw through the family dynamic and the culture, yeah, 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am today. Okay. You mentioned so. What was the food like then? Because it was Cuban, Puerto Rican. Yeah. How much of it was? It was uh... mix of everything. No, it was it was Puerto Rican based. Okay. Know? It was the rice, beans, chicken, potatoes, pastelas, mm-hmm. things like this. The um, pernil, which is the pork. It was mm-hmm. my mom's side, and that we really set. We, we 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 had my dad's family involved in in different moments, but it was my mom's and certain Christmas and the Thanksgiving, um, even. You'd see the more the Puerto Rican delicacies, and, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So my dad was Cuban, but he spent a lot of time around my mom's family. He, my dad would be in Long Island going to the Puerto Rican Day Parade in New York City, <laughs> one with the Puerto Ricans on that day. But that's how he was. You know, he loved my mom's family, loved the Puerto Rican culture. Mm-hmm. But we we got to experience a little bit more of the Puerto Rican part of it on those occasions. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff there. Um, what else is there? Um, have you spoken to all the players yet? No. I no. Like what? Who have you spoken to so far? What have those conversations been like? Well, um, I'd rather not go into this one. Okay. I, uh, I, I, to be honest, and I'd rather not even like. I've for different reasons, I've deliberately stayed away from a lot of it at the moment. Okay. Um, The players will be what drives me. They, mm-hmm. uh, they will be the most important thing uh, you know, on a daily basis to, to get it right for the weekend. But it's almost like a sacredness. Um, when I speak to them, it's got to be almost like we're getting going. And, and right now, there's, there's still unknowns with the roster. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm going with. It's still some things there'll be movement still mm-hmm. so understand why if you start talking to too many then you're not talking to some and it's yeah you're, you're almost penetrating this sacredness okay does that make sense to you yeah it does so I've spoken to a couple of guys you know Keegan mm-hmm. Rosenberg certain players that I've I've, I've run into mm-hmm. sort out so okay um, what do you think what does this roster need the most of right now where are the holes? Where do you want to add? Um, we have to add in the middle of the pitch. We have to add in, um, in the midfield, central mm-hmm. midfield positions. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is which is that that's the major, that's the primary place. Mm-hmm. I think that um, a little bit in playmaker. Role as well. I'd say the other part of it is, is just now tightening things up a little bit, mm-hmm. cleaning up certain parts of the roster. But we we think we have cover in most spots, and we we like our strikers at the mm-hmm. moment. So it's the middle of the midfield. I'd say is, is the main area. Mm-hmm. Dax McCarty's a free agent. You think he could fill that midfield? I think he could. I think he could. There's some others, but Dax for sure. I know him well, and yeah, he's. Uh, I'm very well aware that he's mm-hmm. he's a free agent. Um, there's a lot going on with Max. I don't expect you to know all what's going on. I don't think even like people in New York, referring to the league, not necessarily Red Bulls, know what's going on there. But how much of his film 
in the past with the Rapids. Have you watched if he magically returns to the team? What do you think he could bring? He's, he's a talent, you know. Without saying too much, because it's just an unknown, he's a talent. And um, his profile would be a really good fit for, for our system. Mm-hmm. He's energetic, he covers ground, he, he can make final passes, and he counter-presses like, mm-hmm. uh, with, with real intensity. Yeah, we've seen there's been... I won't accuse the previous staff of having... There's been language barriers, certainly, with the Brazilians who speak Portuguese, a little bit of Spanish, and very little English. How's your Spanish in terms of talking to the guys in Spanish? My, my Spanish will be pretty good to, mm-hmm. to communicate. I, I've not had a problem in the past to do that, and I've gotten better with my Spanish. So mm-hmm. um, I think with the fact that certain guys that even speak you know, Portuguese can speak some Spanish. Yeah. My... They're learning English. My ability to speak some Spanish, connect with them with some English, um, the use of video, mm-hmm. certain other translators around, but I don't think uh, I need too much of the translators help in certain moments because I, I think it's important that I communicate myself to the guys and it carries certain weight. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable where, where that where that'll be. Mm-hmm. What do you see in Miguel Navarro? Nice. I like his profile. I like I like what I know about him from from Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's an attacking left back that also plays defensively with intensity. He's a prideful left back. He has good power and, and pace. Um, he's, again, he's really prideful and, and aggressive, which mm-hmm. is what we look for in our fullbacks. So, mm-hmm. you said the same thing about Sevi a few minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he's he's different because he's he's got caps with the. You know, Venezuela national team, right? So it's mm-hmm. he's got he's got he's further ahead than, than a Seb, right? But he's certainly he's got I don't know eighty I don't know eighty or ninety MLS starts in him. You know, so he's got something real under his belt. Um, but when you look at younger players coming through, those are the those are the profiles and, and key qualities you look for in fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Robertsons from, from the Liverpools is so up the 1v1 duels prideful alert loving to defend but also a, an engine to attack so Miguel Navarro is interesting for all those reasons mm-hmm. Neil Emblem and Chris Little were both in the war room yesterday I saw on the stream because you guys when you guys were making a bunch of trades could we see them return you feeling what do you think the- those they've been really important for, for me and my first month on the job to be helpful in all ways um, mm-hmm. so I've been working closely with them so yeah we're, we've not rounded out the uh, staff yet mm-hmm. that's going that's going to be in the next week I'd say and, okay. um, but it's clear it's clear why 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 they're valued around here mm-hmm. it's certainly clear that they their work ethic, their intelligence, their personal side of things, their love for the club, their, their willingness and ability to work with people. Yes, they're, they've both been really helpful. Mm-hmm. You going to wait till after the start of preseason to name a captain, or what would that process look like? Yeah, I've thought, I've thought about that. I, uh, it's an important one. Um, I would say that uh, we'll only wait if we think we need to wait. If mm-hmm. we're clear on day one who that is, mm-hmm. for certain reasons, we'll, we won't wait. It's yeah. important to name that captain day one in the very first meeting. So um, we want to see where the roster ends up. 
when all discussions are had with all players mm -hmm. we, and, and the full complement of staff. Mm -hmm. it's a big, it'd be a big decision. It's, a, it's such a big honor to be a captain, to be a captain at this club, to follow the previous captains. And those would be big shoe, shoes to, to fill, for mm -hmm. sure. And um, we'll want to get that right. But I'm yeah. confident that we'll get the right person Yeah. the spot. You've coached the big captains that we're talking about, massive leaders in this league from Red Bulls, and it had to have still been Michael Bradley when you were at Toronto, right? What what qualities are you looking for in your in a Rapids captain? Yeah, someone that truly, you know, truly believes in and in, in the ideals that we're saying as a club are important. A captain that can deliver on the pitch consistently, so consistent performances. Um, a captain that understands uh, the team, that team first is, is key, non-negotiable. A captain that loves the club, right, that really loves the club. A captain that leads by example, but has a has a, a respected and strong voice within that team, and a captain that truly gets the, the, the role of the fans. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, yes, has to be someone that can deliver on the pitch, but understands why we do this, which is about our, our fans. And then when, when the coaches aren't around and, and when it's just the players that, that can hold them accountable and, and understands what what's important to all of us. I want to go back to food really quick, Chris. Uh, have you tried green chili yet? Have you had the Mexican food here? I've uh, I had a burrito. I don't know what the name of the place was, but I don't, green chili, no. Yeah, okay. So um, so it's, uh, they smother on pretty much everything Mexican food. So if you didn't get a smothered burrito, that's normally what they have it. It's normally pork-based. There's vegetarian options for people like me. But I remember Emilio gave me a lot of crap when... Uh, the club acquired Kellen Acosta, and he was looking for cultural places to go, and I recommended Casa Bonita, and all I said was, it was an experience, and I think that's an accurate take. I did not say that the food was good. Are you are you familiar with Casa Bonita, no. Chris? Do you watch South Park at all? I used to watch South Park, but it is that... Okay, there's an episode of South Park yeah. really, really early. Um, one of the kids, I don't remember who, is trying to... Uh, he wants to go to Casa Bonita for his birthday. Eric Cartman's obsessed with the food. They've got cliff divers as well. It's a it's a meme of a location. Um, they've got free sopapillas as well. The food's overpriced for what it is. You're paying Vail or Disney prices for it, but it's an experience, and the guys who own South Park actually bought it and renovated it. They're working with a chef to make the food good, and like now, like you can't get a reservation. Wow. So, And where is that exactly? Uh, it's off of... It's west of Denver. I can't remember if it's in Lakewood. It's like right off of... Six, so, um, or it's off of Colfax, I think. Does that sound right, Emilio? Yeah. How far from like Cherry Creek? Like 20 minutes? Uh, depends on what I 25 is doing. <laughs> you probably, being from New York, I don't think you'll have too much issues with the, the traffic the way that it is here. Yeah. How do you like driving around? What do you think of Denver drivers, Chris? Speed limit 65 miles per hour. It's uh -huh. nice. New York's 55, you know. So, okay. So, you drive a little faster is nice. Okay. Um, yeah, get, traffic gets backed up a little bit, but it's never, never too overwhelming. You know, I've, New York traffic's bad. Yeah. Going through the Bronx, and I, 
I commuted from Long Island to New Jersey for five and a half years. At Red Bull? Yeah. So you wow. Got, you know, 55 miles each way in New York. It's, I was in the car for hours at certain mm-hmm. days each way. Okay. You got, so, yeah, this is not, you got four-wheel drive? Uh, yes, we do. Okay. All right. You might you might need it. Um, how much... You never... You, did you ever play or coach a, a snow game ever? Yeah, we... Oh my God! Yes, you were. That would have been. That would have been the Rapid Snow Classic. Oh one. Jones scored. Uh, I think we lost two to one. Or yeah, two one. Don Baji scored the winner. Yeah, down there, a couple yeah. goals. So what do you remember about that game? Yeah, delay. There's people shoveling. We're in. We're out. Like we, it's, you know, incredible. You know. Um, yeah, I remember being in the hotel after and just defrosting and like talking like But um. Yeah, just that it was it was uh, an experience that, that mm-hmm. we got through the game. Um, we faded a bit. The team gained gained energy, and, and yeah, home team won. So yeah, was, yeah, one for the memory books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about how are you going to try and weaponize altitude for home games? Yeah, my my idea now, and and it will become our idea with the performance coaches and understanding exactly the the best ways to to create the edge, but from a coach's standpoint, to just put the opposition in faster games than they want to be in. Mm-hmm. And that means that when we have the ball, we're being very deliberate and moving things quicker and getting the ball in play, you know, speeding those moments up, throwing those goal kicks, putting things down, try to do when we can control things to play quick um, to make opposition run. Mm-hmm. Um, again, more than they want to. By how do you do that? Well, yeah, we got to turn them around and be direct at times and put them in again faster games than they want to be in. And I know that it was to be the exact opposite of, of when we I was coaching here and we would try to slow things down. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that means in possession, and when they have the ball, we can understand that they probably want to try to go slower. But yeah, so they're going to take more time on throwings and goal kicks. We'll try to speed that up, put pressure on the referees, put it and then using some pressing uh, tactics mm-hmm. to make them have to make decisions quicker and play faster than they want to play. So, what are the other key components to a armist attack in possession? Yeah, the emphasis is on verticality. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, you know, one is a structure. So, a structure that allows you to play forward. So how do you play with verticality? Well, they have to have vertical options. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only going to be vertical options if those options are between lines. So a structure that accomplishes certain things. Mm-hmm. Trying to stretch height, trying to create spaces between lines, width that opens up maybe spaces mm-hmm. uh, between lines, essentially. Um, that's the first part, and then really emphasizing that those passes are important. So moving the ball at times to move the opposition, always having an eye searching for the center, searching for players between lines. Um, and there's real tempo to what we do. So if there's a real emphasis on verticality and tempo, um, that's what you'd get, uh, you can expect from my, my attacking team. and. One of the principles would be to always get behind opposition back line. So you're yeah. always thinking about again, if you have if you have center backs and sixes that are thinking about advancing the ball, 
structure that allows to play it, principles that are you driving with the ball, breaking lines with passes and dribbles, it starts to feel and sound a little vertical. Mm-hmm. Any time we can get and break lines behind maybe we call it the red zone, in between the opposition's sixes and back line. Okay. Anytime we can find a player in those spaces that we are thinking about getting to goal. Mm-hmm. So with principles of play, with structure, with messaging, that an emphasis on verticality, this is how you can expect us to score goals and attack. The term red zone, did that come, are you taking that from the NFL or is that a, a red zone? No, that's just the way we, in-house, we, teams that I've coached, we've said that's the, it's almost like that, uh, that, that desired location. So it's just, it lights up like a red zone. Like it's okay. this important space to try to get into that we know this is a, that every single one of our players understands this is a big moment. This is a goal-scoring moment. So, yeah, we'll coach very deliberately in possession with attacking principles, the crystal clarity to bring the vision to life on, on the pitch. Mm-hmm. You seen the schedules out? I did. What do you think? At Messi, get Red Bulls at home, so, two Rocky Mountain Cup games? Yeah, listen, I, I noticed a few things. Um, I noticed that we have a home game, our second game of the year. I know we're, all the road games will be tough especially early on, home opener in Portland, like for them in Portland, like those games will be tough. But I did notice our home game against Nashville. Mm-hmm. I noticed that we got Salt Lake pretty early. Yeah. Game. So I've said it a few times, it's going to be important for us, those games, especially. And again, it's important to us because it's important to our club and to our fans. So mm-hmm. I can't, yeah. Um, I, I did notice that... Uh, yeah, we're going back to New York. We'll be going back to New York against NYCFC, and then Red Bulls come to town. Someone told me that Toronto's coming to town as well. I, mean, I saw Toronto on the schedule. I can't remember if they're home or away. They're coming here. Okay. But listen, people told me about those two games, the New York Red Bulls and, and Toronto. I didn't mm-hmm. look to see when we were playing them. Mm-hmm. Every game is important to win like the. It's never going to be about me trying to get revenge. Like, mm-hmm. you want to beat your old teams that you used to coach, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm going to want to beat my friend Jim Curtin in Philadelphia. I'm going to want to beat like, mm-hmm. it's every which way around the league. It's... So yeah, it's, uh, I saw the schedule. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. What else is there? What does I know? It's easy now with the structure the way that it is to say, make the playoffs and then we'll go from there. What is, from a process standpoint, what does success look like for you in 2024? Process standpoint? Yeah. So we're not talking wins and losses, right? Yeah. So what is, in terms of the way that the team's playing or the way the roster is built or the way the culture is, where do you want that to be decision day? The, The culture is airtight. Mm-hmm. it's so clear of what the expectation, not the demand, but the expectation is when you walk in this building or you even put on a rapid shirt and you, what you represent here. So that's that's the, the first step. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if in time, that is, is uh, really, really clear. Mm-hmm. The second part, and again, it's equally as important, is that 
that throughout our club, that any time you see any of our teams play, especially the, the first team, the one that I'm coaching, that if, of course, you're going to see them in jerseys, but if they were in bibs, neutral color bibs, and that you would recognize that team mm-hmm. based on what they look like, how they play, how they behave. And if you close your eyes, that it sounds like a Rapids team. Mm-hmm. Our terminology is clear. Coaches, players are coaching it, not the coaches coaching it only. And mm-hmm. players are owning it. They love it. But that style of play is not only crystal clear from the players, um, but that they love it. Mm-hmm. They really love the way we're playing. So if the culture is right, and it's crystal clear that man it looks so <clears throat> that's our style of play and you can recognize it anywhere that then the sound of the stadium is you know, is a byproduct of what they're seeing and if they see it from a style of play standpoint and know they're going to love it <clears throat> they see the behaviors when we lose the ball the reactions when we win the ball, the willingness to run and score, the body language of the players is strong. That after matches, that we're acknowledging our fans, that for me, that has to equal winning. So, mm-hmm. from a process standpoint, it's it's the behaviors on the pitch in the locker room. Um, yeah, that's this is just strong performances and consistency. Mm -hmm. This got omitted from the press release. How long is your contract, Chris? I have a two-year contract. Okay. Um, Favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas music? Uh, It's got to be... I have a few. I think... um, You can list a couple. I like Elf. Okay. Scrooge. You know, (laughs) it's always been a good one. Um, yeah, those two. Okay. What's yours? What's mine? Uh, uh, my mom and I always watch the old school original Grinch. Um, Grinch. Yeah, that one's pretty solid. Um, I like the one with Jim Carrey. Yeah. They're, uh, they all have their place in it, but yeah. the, the old school one is the one I grew up with. I, so noticed, I, I don't think I've seen this one, maybe. I have had to. The, the 1960s yeah. cartoony one, he gets the like super like wound up smile that looks evil and devious. Yeah. It's only about, it's only like 20 minutes long. There's probably a knockoff version on YouTube. Okay. Um, okay. It might you be a little bit cranny. So yeah, you, you can check that one out. Love me a good love actually. And then, okay. Um, Chris, how much of you liking Elf is because there's stuff in New York? Any connection there? Or is it no, just... it's just more like it's just, it's easy to, it's funny, it's easy. It's lighthearted. It's lighthearted. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, no, not that it's New York, mm-hmm. just that it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm like, uh, like in my house, Elf on the Shelf, I'm the one hiding the dead <laughs> thing, yeah, trying to Google different ideas. I had okay. some good ones in the last, before I came for this trip. Okay. My kids are 92 boys, 19 and 22, but the Christmas spirit means a lot to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it started with my family, but I think we're always the first family, any of our friends have put our Christmas tree up. Mm-hmm. Always, we take it down fairly quickly after the holidays, but it's always up. We always have Christmas music going on in the mm-hmm. house. And when is the Christmas tree up? Day after Thanksgiving? No, we were, we were up this year, early November. Okay. Crazy. My wife is crazy. And, uh, 
but I like it too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always like, you know, after Halloween, it always starts like, all right, when do we, when we open up that tree? It's mm-hmm. usually mid-November, but got up earlier this year because we knew we were, we were up against time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you talk about how much the spirit means to us, um, then elf. Elf embodies that spirit. Yeah, like, you know, it's kind of, kind of funny. Yeah. A little bit cheesy, but good. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? A little bit of love story there, you know, like, there's always a little that going on. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie for you? No. (sighs) No. Okay. Die Hard? Yeah. It takes place on Christmas Eve. That's a Christmas Christmas, uh, movie to you? Well, so I would, if, if we're getting to that, then uh, I don't know how much you Die Hard? I don't, maybe I don't remember. Am I missing the, the whole like theme of this movie? It was on Christmas Eve. There's Christmas music in it. It's not about Christmas. Yeah. I'll give so you that. that. Yeah, okay. So I'll, um, it, okay. did you read the Harry Potter books at all, Chris? I didn't. You no. didn't? Okay. No. So there's a, the actor who plays the villain in Die Hard is Alan Rickman, who then plays Snape, the, you could antagonist, retroactive hero. He's one of the professors. He's mean to Harry Potter for a bunch of reasons I won't get into. But then, so there's an argument on the internet that um, uh, that in Die Hard, you have the main protagonist sneaking around trying to avoid Alan Rickman. Therefore, Die Hard is a Harry Potter movie. So go, go tell your kids that tonight and see if it blows their mind. Yeah. Um, have you been to the mountains yet? Not yet. Not, not, not enough time for it. Okay. So no, no downtime yet. No, no downtime yet? When, if and when you do have downtime, what would you want to do? Up? Honestly, I, I want to see the mountains. You know, I just want to experience some of what that has to offer. Some mm-hmm. of those, those, those mountain towns, just in the vibe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a... With my knees and my hips these days, I'm, I used to ski here and there, you know. Okay. Just being up and then catching that vibe and just the scenery, the mm-hmm. outdoorsy. Yeah. yeah. Estes Park, Rocky Mountain Park, National Park, absolutely yes, beautiful. Sure. Rocky Mountain, yes. Okay. Um, Vail, Breckenridge, some of these places, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, can't wait to see it. Yeah. Chris, this was fun. Thank you no, so thank much you. for your time and everything. You've been nice so far from a media standpoint, and I look forward to covering you and being constructive and to your yeah, success. appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, listen, man, um, I don't know how it's gone in the past with, with you know, like I, I've always established a good relationship with the, with the media outlets and and then I end up being very forthcoming with information and mm-hmm. welcoming when they come through the doors. So I, I want to ask that you try to honor what our conversations and I think you, you're hearing it a certain way in certain contexts and it also gets delivered mm-hmm. in such a way. Yeah. I think if I think expect if you, that you have a job to do for yeah. sure and uh, only expect realness out of it. And I, I know that you have to do a job but to give us a chance and give us a certain uh, yeah the truth is always a good thing but um, we, we I appreciate the job that you have. I do. And if, therefore, I go out of my way at times to give information and, um, again, be forthcoming and welcoming to people that, that come through the doors. So mm-hmm. I, my time and information. I think we're aligned on that. And okay. I, hopefully, if you speak to Emilio or Pork or when you do speak to the players, they would say the same thing in terms yeah, of how cool. I carried myself. So That's probably why you're here today. Then. Yeah. yeah. Right. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you so much, Thanks sir. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah, same to you. Thank you. Thank you.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.